This is the Rock and Roll Autopsy Podcast. I'm going to zap her again. Charge up the paddles. Come on, let's go, let's go. Sorry, Doctor. Hold the compressions. Clear. Straight line. Good evening and welcome to Rock and Roll Autopsy. We are the forensic files on your radio dial. My name is Scott, and have we got a great show for you tonight? No, we don't. Damn it. The phone is ringing again. It's the request line. All right, let's pick it up. WRNRA, East of the Rockies. Hey, Breather, what's going on, man? You want to travel back in time to the 1950s? Let me guess, because the music was so good, right? Birth of rock and roll, baby. What do you mean any time before shitty rock and roll podcasts will do? Listen, you called the request line. Is there a song you'd like us to perform an autopsy on? Good golly, Miss Molly? By Little Richard? You got it. All right, buckle up, gang. The subject of our rock and roll autopsy tonight will be Good Golly Miss Molly by the architect of rock and roll, Little Richard. We'll get the show started after these very important messages from our sponsors. What's up, music nerds? Are you tired of wading through a sea of mediocre music, desperately seeking to find a glimmer of greatness? You're in luck. My name is Mark, and I am the host of the podcast, Songs That Don't Suck. Each week, I scour the depths of new music playlists to unearth hidden gems that defy the trends and deliver pure sonic bliss. No matter the genre, if it doesn't suck, it's on my radar. So find us on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe today. And as always, keep searching for and listening to Songs That Don't Suck. Breaking news! What is this garbage you're watching? I want to watch the news. This is the news. All right, gang, we've got our intrepid rock and roll beat reporter on the line, seven-time Silver Sow Award winner, Rico Gnu, how the hell are you? I'm doing pretty goddamn great. How about you? Not too shabby, man. Not too shabby. What's going on in the world of rock and roll Gnu's? So we're going to do something just a tad different tonight. So I got this off of Loudwire, but this kind of stuff is everywhere. I love Loudwire. It's my one-stop shop for for news at the moment. But I do frequent other places as well. But uh, I'm going to test you and our one or two million listeners out there um, to see. I know, right? Um, We are number nine on that one list now. Um, Thanks to them. Uh, Anyway, um, I'm going to test you and the listeners to see how much you guys know about rock urban legends see how much you know about that these are pretty interesting some of these are fish in a barrel like one a couple of these you know by heart but we're gonna see how much you know know about them so this one we'll, we'll start off easy you ready i'm nervous that you're going to expose me as a rock and roll fraud how all right here comes the first one how much do you know about the ozzy bat incident uh, i think i know the I think I'm okay. Let's hear it. At a concert, told David Letterman in 1982, somebody threw a bat on stage. I thought it was one of those toy bats, so I picked it up and bit the thing's head off, and suddenly everybody's freaking out. I can assume, I can assure you the rabies shots I went through afterwards are not fun. He said, every night for the rest of the tour, I had to find a doctor and get more rabies shots, one in each arse cheek, he said, one in each thigh, and one in each arm. Everyone hurt like a bastard. How about that? 
thoughts on that? I mean, we, so, I, I, that, that one's easy. I know you knew that story. So hold on. Was I supposed to tell you that story then? Or just like no, verify I just, that I was aware of the urban legend? Yeah, just to see if you knew about that. I mean, I, I didn't expect you to know it verbatim, but just if you knew about it. Thank goodness. I think I've seen that. That Letterman clip is on YouTube. You can see that old interview. Yeah, I'm going to have to check that out. Like yep. any any reason to catch an old Letterman episode, I'm going to probably go out of my way for. Um, all right. So that one was easy. Let's see what the next. Oh, here we go. How much do you know or anybody out there about the connection between Charles Manson and the Beach Boys? So Manson made buddies with the drummer and then started shacking up in his house. I actually think that they became friends because Manson used to hang around in the studio because he wanted to cut a record where the Beach Boys were recording. And then eventually just started squatting in the drummer's house. And I can't remember the drummer's name. That Dennis. I'm sorry, go ahead. That that would be Dennis, and he, he eventually drowned uh, to death. So he was squatting in the house, and then with Manson, Manson traveled like, you know how Pigpen always has that perpetual cloud of like dust around him? Manson <laughs> yeah. always had like a cloud of, yes, dust particles, but also <laughs> women and other cult followers. So eventually- Yeah, his whole family. His whole family was around him. So eventually this whole family just ended up basically squatting in this guy's home, this drummer for the Beach Boys, to where he eventually, I think, had to kind of abandon his own house. Yeah, that that's actually really very accurate. And did you also know that um, he helped the Beach Boys write a song to which he got no credit for? Um, so the Beach Boys song is a, B, a 1968 B-side, Never Learn Not to Love is the name of the song um it says here the details of the story get a little bit muddy but um he when he was shacking up with with uh with uh dennis um he presented a song to him called cease to exist um they retooled the song they called it never learn not to love uh they recorded it they changed it was the it was the flip side of the single bluebirds over the mountain and uh manson was reportedly really unhappy with the changes that were made and they changed enough of the song to where manson got zero credit for the song apparently so um if any of you want to check that song out old charlie my man is is the is the meat and potatoes behind that one Two uh, other points. One thing I had read about Manson and his kind of hanging around the Beach Boys in the studio was they just thought he was just a weird hippie until, yeah, and yeah. I don't know how true this is, but I heard that he beat the shit out of one of the producers or engineers and like, you know, kind of like showed his uh, angry, violent side in an incident one day in the studio, which then kind of shook the rest of the members of the Beach Boys to where they were like, oh, something is really off about this guy. Yeah, totally. I wouldn't doubt that happened one bit with that dude. And the other thing I would, what I was wondering was I was actually thinking, and this is probably a little off topic, so let's just not belabor it, but True. do you think there'd be a one one day there might come a time when we do an autopsy on a Charles Manson song. He has like uh, an EP out. Yeah, I would um I would like that very much. So little not in poor do. taste. Nah, no come on dude. It's it's rock. There uh, it's uh <laughs> it's it's uh it, it's anything's fair game in our laboratory. Never stopped us before, right? Please no. proceed. Hell no. Um so yeah, how much or let me ask you this when is the last time you listened to the song rocket queen by guns and roses uh a couple years ago maybe i think i was learning years it on guitar and i had to like kind of reacquaint myself with it did did do you did you know do you remember the part at i think it's at the end of the song where uh axel rose is there's like sounds of him having sex on the song are you aware of that how much do you I, know about that 
I certainly do uh, remember that passage in the song. It's during like this extended kind of solo break and then you hear the moaning and then it, eventually the individual, uh, she actually climaxes as it heads back into the uh, chorus again. Um, what do I know about it? Um, I don't know if it's like a legit sexual encounter or if she's just going Meg Ryan, you know, uh, when Harry met Sally, but I, I don't know. So enlighten me. Yeah. So uh, her name is Adriana Smith. She was a dancer who had been dating the drummer, Steve Adler, for a while, but um, she was contacted by Axl Rose. And, and and this is her this is uh, quoting her right here axel propositioned me to do something quote not even his girlfriend would do she explained in a 2007 interview he sat me down was all serious he said aaron which apparently is his girlfriend at the time aaron, her last name everly aaron won't do this nobody will do this and i was like Fuck yeah i'll do it for the band dude and so this was her way to get back at Steven Adler for cheating on her, a cheating on her. So what happened was is they they blocked off a part of the studio. They laid some blankets on the ground and recorded like three and a half hours of them fucking. And so the sounds that you're hearing on Rocket Queen are Axel fucking Steve Adler's girlfriend in the studio. And uh, that's all real, dude. And he put it on a song that Steven Adler plays drums on. That's right. So every time Adler listens to that record, he hears his uh, one-time girlfriend enjoying Axl Rose. Yeah, she said, me and Axl got to it, had sex on the floor of the voice room, actually. Apparently, there was like three and a half hours of audio on the reel-to-reel. We just kind of laid down and did it. I was having fun, and Axl would be like, come on, Adrian, quit, fa quit fucking faking it. It was probably a comedy of errors for the most part. I told him to destroy the tape. Smith had been worried that Adler would be upset if he found out it, but in retrospect, Adler seemed mostly fine with it. He said, he said she wasn't like my girlfriend exactly, but we had some good long nights. Axel came up with this idea to fuck some girl in the studio and record it for Rocket Queen. They put up a divider, laid the blanket down, and went at it. So there you go. So the Rocket Queen section is actually real. How about that? Rock and roll, baby. Uh, fuck yeah, dude. So this is a fish in a barrel, dude. We all know the story behind Smoke on the Water, right? I think so. I mean, I, I, uh, Frank Zappa and the Mothers playing, and there was a fire, and the, then uh, Ian Gillen wrote a song about it. Yeah, so for those of you out there that might not know the story behind this song, the song is actually based on a real event. Um, a fire in night in this on December 4th, 1971 at the Montreux Casino in Montreux, Switzerland. Deep Purple were in the area to record an album during a show at the venue by Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention. A fire broke out. A flare was shot into the ceiling by a member of the audience. The casino was soon engulfed in flames and the entire complex was ultimately destroyed. So then um, Deep Purple wrote a song about it. So that is, I don't, you know, a lot of people know the story behind that song, but some people might not, you know, it was a long time ago. So that is actually based on a true event. Um, so there you go. Here we go. This one's kind of crazy. Um, I, I, I guarantee you that you don't know about this one because I didn't know either. So, you know, uh, it says here, Aerosmith almost chartered the same exact kind of plane that later crashed and killed members of Leonard Skinner i did so, not know that yeah so it said by all accounts aerosmith had initially considered chartering the exact same type of plane that later crashed um in 1977 and resulted in the deaths of the guys from skinner and some other people um as the story goes aerosmith's tour manager had inquired about chartering the exact same make of plane but aerosmith ultimately decided against it partly due to concern about the plane's safety and maintenance so they were worried about the safety of the plane so they decided not to charter the flight about that but here's my question about that i read about that uh when we did the leonard skinner song um i read about the plane crash and what the story that i got was that the plane crashed because it ran out of fuel so there wasn't any indic yeah it ran out of gas i don't know how that i, 
I don't. So I'm not sure. I, I don't. I didn't read any indications of any safety issues or any defects in the plane. I just read, and what I read about it was that it just ran out of gas, and they couldn't make it someplace and safely land. They were in a bad spot, and so they just wound up going down. So this this story is with Aerosmith is really pretty interesting. I think it's just a coincidence, but um, the, the Skinner plane crash really wasn't due to any safety issues. It was just a fuel issue. So interesting story, though, right? So you mean Joe Perry and Steven Tyler didn't like run a 100 point maintenance inspection on the plane like bef before they put, considering they put on their, the charter? They put on their greasy blue jumpsuits and got their yeah. clipboards out and, you know, walked around the plane and checked everything out. And they're like, no, it doesn't meet our standards. I nah. think we're going to take the bus. We can't do this. We'll, we'll take the school bus with Steven's yeah, girlfriend. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit that's a good one um okay um i failed to look this person up but hopefully you know who this guy is do you know who harry nilson is yeah there was a uh he was one of the early hollywood vampires there was a documentary on him on uh on netflix a few years ago hung out with john lennon back in the day he's a musician right okay yeah so are you aware of the connection between him and Cass Elliot and also Keith Moon? I don't know. Enlighten okay. me. So, so, you know, Cass Elliot, she died. Um, she was, uh, I think she's part of the 27 Club, right? I think so, but that wanders into yet another urban legend about a ham sandwich. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> well, she died in Harry Nilsson's apartment. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And we all know Keith Moon died of like he drowned. He did, he went John Bonham and just dr and just died of severe alcoholism, right? I well, think so. He, yeah. He also died in Harry Nelson's apartment. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And so what? Wow. So she Cass Elliott died on July 29, seventy four. Moon died in the same apartment, September seventh, nineteen seventy eight. And uh, Nelson was so spooked by the two deaths four years apart that he never went back to the home and, and reportedly um pete townsend bought the apartment to keep it from being exploited as a tourist trap wow that's, so that's a cool pretty, story that would freak me out dude like two famous people that i was friends with both died in my apartment from partying too much allegedly right right but i mean that but the truth was maybe it's not as unusual as maybe it seems kind of freaky but when you consider how hard everyone was living in that group oh, sure. you know that they were probably all like dancing with the devil right for sure dude for sure i mean maybe maybe it's uh surprising that there was only two people that died during that time period it could have been more right Rico, not to be grim, but I think about that when you and I were young. I mean, when we were in our young and in our 20s, when you think of the just rank stupidity with which <laughs> us and our group of friends conducted themselves and the frequency of it, the drinking, just the, the careless behavior and how reckless we were, I think all the time it's a miracle all of us are still here. Yeah, you know, and it's funny you say. I mean, that we've lost a couple people in our circle, but oh, not, we have not that like, super inner circle, you know? Right, right. We there, we do have some mutual good friends that have died for yes. sure. Um, and it's funny that you say that because I do think about that too. All the and a lot of people say, "Oh, when I was younger, I did some crazy shit." But dude, when we were younger, we did some crazy shit, man. Like we did. <laughs> Yeah, none like of which will be did. discussed on this podcast. But Ever. We, yeah, I mean, I really do, especially being a father and, and watching my kids and thinking about, you know, what they're going to be doing as they enter into their teenage years. And I think about my teen years and especially those early 20s to about 24, 25, running with the guys and, and you included. We're damn lucky. That's all holy, I can say. Ho holy mackerel. Yeah. <laughs> That's damn all lucky. Say for sure all right let's see what uh we're, we're almost we're almost down to it here you know about keith richards and his dad's ashes right uh refresh my memory i've heard this but refresh my memory I'm, i don't i can't recall it 
So somebody, so, you know, Keith Richards is famous for how the hell is he still alive, right? For, and right. And, and his famous line is, is because I can afford good drugs. So <laughs> um, somebody asked him one day, somebody asked him, they, what's the strangest thing you ever tried to snort? That's said, right. Yeah. So the, the, the true story is he actually snorted his father's ashes. Can you imagine that? True story. Jeez Louise. He said, I, I snorted my father. He was cremated and I couldn't resist grinding him up with a little bit of the blow. So he took <laughs> his father's ashes and mixed it up with, he, he, mi he, mi he mixed it up with some Coke and he blew it, dude. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Rock that? and roll. Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> and he's like 800 and he's still touring, making millions. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. That's rock and roll from like the 1970s. And rock and roll today is, I don't know, like a guy would like mix his father's ashes onto his avocado toast and eat it. You know what I mean? It's like the. It's just the times aren't as wild as they once were, right? No, <laughs> no. Oh man, that's fucking. Have you ever had avocado toast? Of course, dude. I love avocados, man. <laughs> like, yeah, I but did avocados in even exist in the '80s when we were kids? I'm convinced well, they, they didn't, because no they, one, they, <laughs> no one started eating avocado toast until like ten years ago. I'm convinced <laughs> that they didn't even exist when we were kids. They only existed in like Mexico or Southern <laughs> right. Cali or in Southern California, and and then there was this green stuff called guacamole, like in the '90s that nobody <laughs> ever heard of, and what the and this green shit that looked really bad and nasty. It's really pretty fucking awesome. But yeah, dude, when we were kids, nobody ate. Nobody even knew what that was. <laughs> no one knew. God, what was. now it's now kids are uh, taking avocado toast to school and shit. Yes. Shit. I, we had we had PB and J on Wonder Bread and shit like that. You cannot bring peanut butter into the school. Avocado toast, yes. Peanut butter, no. You'll kill half the kids. I know, with all the freaking peanut allergies yes. and shit. Um, did you know that? What do you know about the connection between Debbie Harry and maybe possibly Ted Bundy? Ooh. Now this isn't related to when you and I did one way or the other, right? No, so this not is that. That was no. A, this is a, this is a different incident, actually. Oh, this poor woman. So that was just a random stalker guy that that song yeah. was about. I don't know about the Debbie Harry Ted Bundy connection. Color well, me curious. Yeah. So this is how this is laid out. Okay. So it's not really confirmed. However, according to her, in 1970, um, it was likely. Ted Bundy, who offered her a ride in New York uh, ar around 1970, which she initially took before ultimately escaping. I'll t I'm going to tell this story. This is interesting. Um, the timing of her story aligns with most expert estimates for the start of Bundy's killing spree. Um, but technically, it's unproven. She says, I was trying to get a cab on the Lower East Side of the village in New York, right? Um, that would probably be Greenwich Village, I'm assuming. Um, and it was kind of late, she explained. Uh, this was back in the early 70s, so I wasn't even in a band at the time. I was trying to get across town to an after-hours club. She said, a little white car pulls up, and the guy offers me a ride. So I just continued to try to flag a cab down, but he was very persistent. And he asked where I was going, and it was only a couple of blocks away. And he said, well, I'll give you a ride. And she said, I got in the car and it was summertime and the windows were all rolled up except for about an inch and a half at the top. So I was sitting there and I was really and he and he wasn't really talking to me. Automatically, I sort of, start I sort of reached down to roll the window down and I realized there wasn't any door handles and uh. no window cranks and no, yeah, and no window cranks or nothing. The inside of the car was totally stripped out. She said, I got really nervous. I reached my arm through a little crack and stretched down to open the car from the outside. As soon as he saw that, he tried to turn the corner really fast, and I spun out of the car and landed in the middle of the street. That is crazy. How about that shit? That's a brush with death right there. Sure fucking is. I watched so, that uh, Ted Bundy, I hate to admit this because the stuff is so vile, but I am one of those people who likes the true crime stuff. But yeah, I watched the uh, Ted Bundy series on Netflix that they did. And then I also watched, and this has a rock and roll connection, believe it or not, mm -hmm. the um, 
the Zac Efron, Ted Bundy movie that was on Netflix as well. And it had the rock and roll connection is that James Hetfield actually has a part in that movie. Oh, wow. Yeah, he plays a uh, plays a police officer, but not a big part, but just a right. you know, one scene part. But both good. I mean, I'd recommend the movie and the series, but, um, but you know, Netflix got into that whole serial killer, exploiting serial killers for, uh, for streams business there a few years back. <laughs> it, we're supposed to be learning from this, so we don't repeat <laughs> yes, this, right? It's a, just learning. Right, yes. right, right. Anyway, so let's wrap this up. We're going to take a quick break, and uh, when we come back, we're going to talk, Scott, we're going to talk about the architect of rock and roll, the architect of rock and roll everybody's got to have a title so stick stick around we'll be right back before you go if you like heavy metal and stories then you'll love battle of the bands the narrative form metal podcast that unpacks the biggest rivalries in rock and metal history season one took in megadeth versus metallica and season two went across the divide to explore the beef between judas priest and iron maiden it's like business wars but metal. Find Battle of the Bands wherever you listen to your podcasts or visit battleofthebandspod.com. We are gathered here to remember rock and roll. Rock was born the rambunctious son of country, western, and blues. In the year of our Lord, 1955, on this day, the birth of rock and roll, gifted under the world a gyrating pelvis, a throbbing beat and a pulsating rhythm, a sound so infectious and rollicking that it would endow previously scrupulous young minds with identity, individualism, and purpose, thus setting forth a multi-generational pursuit of all that is loud, debaucherous, and unholy. But, sadly, like all earthly endeavors, rock too must perish. Oh, we mourn the loss of rock and roll, with its ridiculously old standard bearers still on tour and charging ungodly amounts of mad jack to witness their long past the sell by date asses on stage, and with its chauvinism misogyny and whiteness no longer aligning with modern sensibilities and with its aging fist-shaking fan base kicking every would-be rocker off their proverbial lawn rock has indeed passed into the celestial void may rock rest in peace in eternal cacophonous slumber. Amen. Thank you for that, Scott. You are listening to the Rock and Roll Autopsy Podcast. The Autopsy Report. All right, gang. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Um, we're going to be talking, Scott, about the architect of rock and roll. That would be one uh richard peniman otherwise known as little richard that's right little richard tonight's song is going to be good golly miss molly way back in 1958 the b-side is hey 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 scott how about that uh this song is a quick two minutes and four seconds but it's a good two minutes and four seconds um he didn't write the song actually but he just performed it written by John uh, Mara. I'm going to fuck this up. Let's see. John Mariscalco, Robert Bumps Blackwell, producers, Robert Bumps Blackwell. So there you go, man. Good golly, Miss Molly. Did this song kill rock? Let her rip, man. Little Richard. You know, the only architect I know is uh, Florence Henderson's hubby, uh, Mike Brady. <laughs> that is correct. He is the genius. You know, Little Richard might be the architect of rock and roll, but Mike Brady invented that bitchin' house we all grew up watching. Fuck yeah. You know what HGTV... Did you watch that series on HGTV where they actually went to the, the house that they filmed the exterior for that show? 
and they actually <laughs> redid no they actually redid the inside to look like the set on the show so they took old photos from the show and clips and they actually made the inside of that house because reality looked nothing like that house on the inside nice. and they made the inside of the house look like the inside from the show in that very house nice it was pretty wicked and they had like the kids from the brady bunch on the show too and they helped out and it was pretty cool the all grown up version of yeah the kids. all they're all senior citizens now but you know <laughs> oh that's brutal all right gang it's rock and roll autopsy the artist is little richard so my question to you sir is have we strung two dick weeks together in a row um last week being my dingling and this week being something more descriptive of my own manhood little richard good connection there good job on that well done so yeah it looks like uh we strung two dick episodes together just maybe nice. not in the way maybe just not in the way we were thinking little richard the architect of rock and roll the song is good golly miss molly the question is did it kill rock and roll i don't know rico we've got this proprietary science here um should the kids at home be even messing with any of this nonsense no man like if if anybody out there tried to do what we do it's kind of like it's kind of like when i had sex the first time um i was super motivated to get the job done but ultimately it was really awkward and embarrassing and <laughs> i couldn't couldn't i couldn't have regretted it any more than i did so please just let us handle this it'll 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 get taken care of in a in a much better way all right gang so the song is good golly miss molly we've got five categories our proprietary science they are gratuitous boomerism excessive misogyny wanton whiteness malignant machismo and culture vulturism rico the artist is little richard the song good golly miss molly the category gratuitous boomerism how do you score yeah um well scott uh this this cat little richard not quite as old as chuck berry but still born in 1932 so he is also a part of that greatest generation. But um, when we're talking about like, okay, boomerism, is there things about this song that are like super boxed in and generational? Yeah. Like the term ballin, Scott, you ever heard that term before ballin? You ever only, heard that in, before? only in the modern uh, sense yeah. of like a baller, you know, like that's a good thing. Like, like, like Scott, you're like, you're like, when I talk about your graphic design work, you're a fucking baller, dude. Right. Or so when that, I talk about your um, skills at an early age with the ladies, <laughs> a ball tongue, tongue firmly planted in cheek on that one, of course. Uh, but yeah, balling back then was um a term used to mean dancing scott like like when you go to a ball right right so in this song um it's just you know referring to dancing as balling is kind of a boxed in old timey you know what i'm saying and then uh, there's a lot that's boxed in about this song but dude it's good golly miss molly dude like this song is cool it's it's what this was done in what 58 and this song is what 65 years old or something like that and this song is still fucking cool so i'm only going to give it a 0.5 just because of the term ballin because it meant something different back then but i'm not going to go any more than a 0.5 in fact it's painful just to give it that 0.5 but i have to so you know science and all yeah, it's interesting because I feel like, again, this is one of those where I feel like, oh, this is a shoe in for gratuitous boomerism. But in a way, right? I feel like, again, it, we've overshot with these last two weeks doing these older I songs. I feel like we've almost overshot boomerism here. Um, 
Ah, so the question is, good golly, Miss Molly, gratuitous boomerism. You know, I'm going to give it a 0.52 and only because this is going to sound kind of weird and maybe like I'm like I'm missing the mark here a little bit. But in the 80s, when I would see like the traveling Wilburys, I'd see, you know, fucking um, with the dark glasses, Roy Orbison, I'd see. Bob right. Dylan, I'd see Johnny Cash and Tom yep. Petty, you know, I still in that era, even in the video era and those old, like the vanguard of boomerism, like the, I'm thinking the traveling Wilburys type ever present was little Richard, even mm -hmm. in the eighties. I mean, as a kid growing up in the eighties, I was hyper aware of little, who little Richard was. And I didn't necessarily separate him generationally. I just knew he was in that before times rock and roll thing that those traveling Wilburys also represented. Yeah. And so I kind of just lumped him in with those boomer guys, even though uh, I did not know he actually predated them. So I'm going to give him a soft 0.5 for good golly, Miss Molly and gratuitous boomerism. And also it's probably, and you're thinking, well, Scott, you're, you're scoring little Richard, the person and not really the song. Well, to me, it's like little Richard's music catalog. Really? We only think of tutti fruity and good golly, Miss Molly. When we think yep. of his creative output, you know, we just right. think of those two songs generally. So it kind of is him, if that makes sense. Certainly. And you know, in the eighties, he was, he was doing TV. He was still working. He yep. did dude. What's his, you know what he's also known for? One thing you forgot the theme from the magic school bus. That's right. that is little Richard, my man. Yeah, like, that's a great song. Like everybody who's under the age of 40 is going to know Magic School Bus, uh, I hope, because it's still on TV, I think on video. So, yeah, dude, he again, like I remember seeing him on Letterman and I remember seeing him on TV. So, yeah, in the 80s, when all those other guys were there, he was there. I agree with you totally. I think he was even on Pee Wee's Playhouse when I was watching it as a kid, like on the yeah. Christmas special or something. I mean, right. he was just always kind of visible, more so than his contemporaries. I mean, yeah. Chuck Berry was still around, but he wasn't dominant in the culture in any way, right? And Very true. So, you know, he was always there. So in a sense, I think of him, even though he predates him, in with those guys. So let's move on. Yep. Category it. two. Good golly, Miss Molly, excessive misogyny. Enrico, I have lyrics available if you need them. Uh, please hit me with some lyrics, if you will. Good golly, Miss Molly. I just had that moment of panic where I'm like, am I recording? And I quickly looked at the thing. <laughs> wow, I didn't think of that. Are you? I am. But oh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> but dude, that happens to me periodically where I'm, and it's like, it's not like I got to think about a lot when doing this podcast really, but, <laughs> right. but I just had like that moment of, oh shit. And then I'm look up and there's the recording light is on. And I've got like this giant sticker on the computer that says record button. And I drew a picture of a record button to remind me. <laughs> yeah. Cause when you said that, then I thought about it and didn't remember seeing the pop-up and I'm like, shit, did you press record? But do you see something on your side? Yeah, when you hit record, I get a pop up that that oh, okay, that informs me that the session is being recorded. Oh, good per, okay. per FCC standards, right? Yes, of course. Okay, <laughs> sorry, dear listeners, just a moment of uh, brain fart and panic from your intrepid co-host here. Um, <laughs> good golly, Miss Molly, sure like to ball. Good golly, Miss Molly, sure like to ball. When you're rocking and a rolling, can't hear your mama call. From the early, early morning till the early, early night, when I caught Miss Molly rocking at the house of blue light, good golly, Miss Molly, sure like the ball when you're rocking in a rolling, can't hear your mama call. Do you want more, Rico, or do you want me to stop there? I, I think I'm pretty good. Um, right. So, again, we talked about the term balling, meaning to dance, right? Um I, Scott, I, I find it hard to find anything wrong with talking about a girl who likes to dance, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But when you think about Little Richard and the fact that yet another guy who hooked up with a 16-year-old, yes, he's also on that list. And Little Richard, Scott, 
in case anybody didn't know, Little Richard liked to watch people fuck. He 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 would drive around with a girl and and watch her have sex with people, and he actually got busted for it. Um, so this dude wow. had I did not dude, know this. Oh yeah, like uh he oh sure. He got busted for for that, and did, that was his own little fetish, dude. He was he was into voyeurism big time. So we don't um, have to add in an allegedly. Oh no, this is no. He was actually arrested for this. Um, so <laughs> so there's no allegedly about this. Rock um, and roll. Yeah. So he hooked up with a 16 year old college student um, and tried. He said that he had had. had propositioned her to guys like buddy holly and all of those guys she denies that that ever happened but he claims that it actually did happen and then he proposed to her and then she turned him down and he wound up marrying somebody else and then they got divorced but yeah dude he had a pretty interesting lifestyle um but having knowing that about little richard well another term for balling scott is fucking in case anybody didn't know that so balling means dancing. Yes, of course it does. Like I'm going to the ball, like Cinderella is going to the ball, but balling also means fucking. So when he says, good golly, Miss Molly sure liked the ball. What he's really saying with to our friends, who know what a double entendre is, Scott, that good golly, Miss Molly, she sure likes to fuck. Right. So. I still don't know if there's anything misogynistic about pointing out the fact that the girl likes to get get busy, right? I'm going to score this one a zero, dude. All right, so that's where I was wondering when we were going to get there with this song. It's, this, yeah. is, this is not clearly as simple as, hey, there's this woman named Molly who really enjoys dancing. I mean, right. we've now, sure. we only read two verses, but already in the second verse, I'm being introduced to something new, this house of blue light. What What is this going? What is the house of blue light when I caught Miss Molly rocking at the house of blue light and is rocking itself is that also a double entendre for banging right the songs about a prostitute at a whorehouse called the house of blue light i'm reading now from the internet the songs about a prostitute at a whorehouse called the House of Blue Light, where she works from the early, early morning to the early night. And the term rockin' and rollin' means having sex. This is how the genre got its name, because so many of the songs were about sex. Then, and I've actually heard that on the, um, uh, yeah, the Alan, yep. uh, what the hell's the name of that song? The Ongoing History of New Music with Alan uh, Cross. I've actually yeah. heard that that was the original rock and roll name is just because that was just uh lingo for banging. Well, sure. I mean, think of the whole dirty dancing thing. Like it, that kind of music was, you know, the way people dance with each other was very sexually, a lot of sexual innuendo yeah. in the way that they the because the, my mom was very much into that type of music and she was a teenager at the time and we talked about that kind of she's like yeah dirty dancing all that stuff in dirty dancing is real and and that's 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 all legit that's very accurate and so to your point that's exactly how it went down and so and another thing it's a way for innocent teenagers to dry hump and get away with it right precisely so so another uh, line here, I'm on, what am I on? Songfacts.com. And I'm just yeah. reading, I'm just reading comments beneath the lyrics. Another comment here is it may be a girl's name in the title, but the song refers to a parenthetical gay male prostitute in the local vernacular mall as in mall Flanders was 18th century English slang for prostitute and led to the term gangsters mall. The song really is very rude, but not as bad as the original lyrics for Tutti Fruity. So is there anything to this Rico? And is was little Richard a gay man? And could this be about some encounters with a prostitute or a male well, prostitute? I mean, he was married and he and he had a, by all accounts, a typical marriage with this person. But on the other hand, 
He used to wear his mom's makeup. I think really what came down to he was he was a very effeminate bisexual, I think is really what it came down to. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it could possibly mean that. I mean, sure, it's certainly plausible. So we've got in the soup here. We've got just some hornball stuff with a girl named Molly just banging. We've got potentially another avenue of prostitution and a whorehouse and the house of blue light, rocking and rolling, meaning sex. And then in a third interpretation, we've got this 18th century English slang for prostitute, a mall. So good golly, Miss Molly, which is, I'm assuming, like a, uh, a, a male prostitute. So a few different avenues, but does any of this help Scott score? excessive misogyny i don't know if i necessarily hear that mis anything misogynistic and it's, it's celebrating um uh horn dogitude if you want to look at it that way if we want to look at it that way but nothing that uh nothing that comes off as cruel or demeaning just a celebration of some healthy fucking agree 100 percent with you so I think I'll score it a zero. I mean, there's nothing wrong with just discussing a girl enjoying having sex, right? Or a dude or whatever or a dude. you want to take, or, right? So he sure likes the ball. I mean, how would nothing? Yeah, I, I'm right there with you on that. So I'm going to score it a zero. All right, let's yeah. move on. Category three. Good golly, Miss Molly. Wanton whiteness. Rico, how do you score? Yeah, little Richard, dude. Like, there's zero white. There's that's like when we did Chuck Berry, dude. There's like, I, I I struggle to find any whiteness in his in him at all. There's like none. Um, I, I yeah, I mean nothing nothing else I can say about that one. That's a big big fat zero for me. Yeah, I'm gonna score it a zero as well. And it's it's as I'm listening to it. What's funny about it is. I pull it up on Spotify today and I spin it a couple times and I'm like, yep. why doesn't music like this exist anymore? His vocal on this song is so killer. And it is, it like, is man. It is like, uh, it's like almost like a heavy metal vocal and that it's really over the top. And, and it, he's got like that vocal distortion going on, you know, that, yeah, that, that grit that he's, that he's able the, to the grit and the gravel in his voice, except, yeah. except at a high pitch right? at a real high pitch. And it's yeah. like, and it's like, holy hell, man, that is, it's like just a killer, killer vocal performance. And I'm like, man, you could, you could slap that on, you could cut and paste it out of this track onto a heavy metal song and it would not be out of place. The vocal performance. I totally agree. The vocals are killer. This song is just a fucking fun song, dude. It's a, it's a killer ass fucking kick ass sung rock and roll song, man. I agree. I would like to, to somebody to mash up like his vocals like pull his vocals out maybe paul mccartney can use his ai to pull um <laughs> little richard's vocals out of that song and and put it to some metal backing track to see how that would sound i think that'd be pretty cool and even in the song i mean the band behind him is just a rollicking you know it, oh, it yeah. is it is an on fire performance i mean you can really capture it really captures maybe it's how they recorded it back then but i'm sure it was just recorded live for the most part it really captures the energy of the performance i, I was just gonna say energy that's a perfect word there's just so much energy in little richard's performances all of them in general he always just had a ton of energy yeah, I mean, if anybody out there knows of any music going on that's similar to this, that's got that same level of fire to it, I would definitely be curious to um to hear it, you know. But absolutely, um, it's funny because I've read a lot of stories about one of the reasons why ACDC and you know we chose Chuck Berry last week, and I always think when I think of like rock and roll evolution, I think you can draw like a straight line from Chuck Berry to ACDC. You know, For Angus sure. Young does the duck walk, the the Chuck Berry double stops, you know, the mm -hmm. the the shuffle, the swing to it, the whole thing. For sure. Um, the simplicity of the writing, the whole thing. I think you can draw a straight line. But yeah. there's also a line that can be drawn to Little Richard because ACDC was attracted to Brian Johnson as a replacement for as a replacement for Bon Scott because 
his vocal existed in that same register, Angus Young said, as Little Richard. And being their age, they were huge Chuck Berry and Little Richard fans. That's what they cut their teeth on in rock and roll. And so they saw Brian Johnson as being like a modern at the time interpretation or their modern kind of answer to a little Richard vocal on modern rock and roll, you know? Yeah. I mean, why wouldn't you do that? If you could, like you need a new singer, you, you cut your teeth on little Richard and Chuck Berry. and, And Oh, by the way, this dude sounds just like little Richard in a lot of ways. So why wouldn't you recruit him? Yeah, That's like your high dream, right? distorted vocal. Yeah, for just sure. a killer performance. Yep. But I gotta score it a zero for wanton whiteness. Yep. If it was if it was a really white performance, it probably wouldn't have the energy that this one. T- <laughs> you know, you're, be, it, especially back then like the, the white dudes right. back then were super stiff and cardboardy <laughs> right yeah it was just the brill cream wouldn't have held up all right holy um, mackerel category what are we on category four malignant machismo good golly miss molly curious what your thoughts are on this one yeah i mean like uh I'm going to I'm going to actually score this because it, but not in a see it's by scoring we're penalizing right um but this is this is like little richard's muchismo in this song is is tantamount to to hetfield it's it's on that level except it's not so angry you know what i mean it's right. just it's just uh it's it's hetfield without the anger you know what i'm saying yeah um I, I, there's a ton of really cool on fire machismo in this song, but our score penalizes somebody for that. And I can't score him for something that I think is cool as hell. So I'm going to give this a zero because I think little Richard's machismo in this song is badass, um, as we've already discussed. So I'm going to give him a zero, but I do think he's got his own cool version of machismo, kind of like James Hetfield without the anger, but it's not in a bad way. So I'm giving this one a zero. Yeah, I totally see where you're coming from. And yeah, it's it's a macho. It's funny. You have this effeminate front man right. with this bitching vocal that is just searing in the mix. You know, It's got so much cut and energy to it absolute command of commanding performance the band is on fire and totally i mean it really is it's just a fiery performance and so yeah it's 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 macho as fuck man i mean the way he's the way he's you know presenting it so i'm gonna score it a full-on one i can imagine back then this song probably scared the bejesus out of people. yeah that's a good point because and they you know, probably you didn't hear you got people that were 10 years earlier listening to glenn miller right and then this no, shit that's a good point yeah that's probably a great point man fucking had parents pooping themselves and probably yeah, had you know, those those brill creamed white boys pooping themselves too because this guy probably scared the hell out of everybody with this level of machismo that's true. I was thinking of it in terms of today, but if you yeah. think of it in terms of back then, that's a full on one. So you are absolutely not wrong for scoring that. Um, and you know, the other thing about his vocals and this particular song, the fact that his, his vocals are so on fire that to your point earlier, that he's over modulating hard in this song. And that makes it even better. His yeah. over the over modulation makes the song even cooler in my opinion, um, because it just adds more sizzle to his voice. So, but yeah, to your point, if you think of it in terms of when the song came out, he was freaking the fuck out of everybody's parents. I'm sure of that. So that's a good point. Sizzle is a great, kind of great descriptor for the recording is it i mean i was surprised listening to it because i've heard this song my whole life but i hadn't really given it a listen in a while and i was just absolutely blown away you know by just how killer it was i was just like man why aren't people doing this today maybe they are and i'm just a middle-aged guy who's out of touch you know they they are but it's not it's not fun anymore it's angry it's it's all angry and and angry probably true the whole world is angry anymore (laughs) category five culture vulturism we're not angry we're rock and roll autopsy we're two buddies having a good time blowing off some steam Uh, 
getting the work week out of our bones here culture vultureism good golly miss molly rico how do you score no i mean god how can you score him on this i mean if right he didn't he didn't write the song but all that all that fucking piano shit that that was the creation all that that's fucking little richard man he like calling him the architect of rock and roll is like pretty fucking accurate. And I can't score one of the founding fathers of this, of this beloved musical genre. I can't score him on this because he was one of the creators of it. So everything has his, his DNA all over it from certain perspective. Right. So this is a big fat zero for me. Yeah, it's a gigantic zero. In fact, it's not even it's not even possible for anything right. this dude did to be vulturing anything. He, if anything, he created the template. If you think about it, you know, I complain all the time about how rock stars are vanilla today and they don't have like they lack charisma and a, and a look, you know, and a presence and they're just like I call them they're like all the rock stars today can be bagging my groceries, right? But little Richard <laughs> Little Richard had a look, he had a presence, you know, so he had that template done. He (laughs) fucking set the house on fire with his music. He had the, like an early, early overmodulated sizzling screechy vocal, which would later become like the thing of rock and roll. Then he, then it's dripping with sex appeal. I mean, everything about rock and roll and is in this song you know and everything that everybody would go on to exploit and do over and over and over and over and over again throughout the 50 plus year run of rock and roll being culturally relevant can be found in this song you know so there's no culture vulturism here it's as big a goose egg as you can possibly give it this guy's (laughs) like breaking the mold man right right motherfucker couldn't even motherfucker couldn't even sit down when he was playing the piano he played standing up right because because he was so on fire that he couldn't even sit down like dudes like fats domino and them those guys sat down when they played like even even jerry lee lewis is on fire as that dude was he still played sitting down not little richard that motherfucker was standing up the whole time because he he just was so so on freaking fire that he he, he couldn't even sit down yeah great point man all right i can't sit down because i sit all day at my job and i've got oh, roids God, I know. Yeah, the roids awful, are just like you know it's my life it's terrible now. like you you've got like stock in preparation age probably or do you use the pad do you use the pads or the cream i've used the pads but these days i'm on the cream you cream. know Got yeah it. and so next time you shake my hand i want you to think about that well that's okay it, it might uh, I'm, I'm good with it dude it's cool it's cool right. you gotta you gotta take care of it you gotta take care of yourself man oh like, my god like when what if you like do you do you go like like a baby ass where you like smear it in your ass like to like you do a baby to prevent diaper rash or do are you like carefully placing that shit or are you just kind of frosting it in there no, you went right back to the reference. I think last time we talked about diaper rash, <laughs> it's one of our many reoccurring mature topics on this podcast. <laughs> you said you said you put that shit on like you're frosting a cake when you were talking about the <laughs> and that's that's exactly what you have to do when your roids flare up is it's like you're frosting a cake. Does that does that sliminess kind of bother you a little bit no or, it or helps you... it helps really? man yeah it helps okay. i mean you know when things are itchy and uncomfortable back there that lubrication helps put the fire out a little bit and it just good on you man down to where the thing is though is that when you take that first dump after liberally applying you know that that <laughs> you know that that frosting that cake when you take that first dump, it's like opening a garage door and like chucking a golf ball out of it. <laughs> it's like throwing a hot dog down a hallway, right? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> Jesus Christ, oh, what are we dealing with our lives? Oh, my God. Oh, hey, you want to start a podcast? <laughs> yeah, sure. This is this is what we got to share what, with the world. What a great idea! <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's score this fucking thing. All right, I've got one point 
five. And I've got, let's see, I've got point five for a grand total of two points. Exactly, dude. How could this be anywhere else other than where it is? Speechless. Speechless. Well, I just happened to notice as I'm looking at Wikipedia for the got the good golly Miss Molly page on. We just spent a minute talking about hemorrhoids. <laughs> and it says that the album was recorded. You might have read this in your autopsy uh, <laughs> in your um uh your autopsy report, but it yeah. says it was supervised by Bumps Blackwell. <laughs> At JM Studios in New Orleans in 1956. And I thought, what an appropriate hemorrhoid name. Bumps I mean, maybe he's suffering. Yeah, maybe he's suffering from hemorrhoids too. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> hey, man, why do they call you bumps? Man, I got trouble pooping, man. And I get, uh, the, I get the bumps in my ass. <laughs> so the nickname just kind of stuck. Oh, my God. Oh my gosh. All right, gang. It's been rock and roll autopsy. Rico. Yeah. Good night now. Let me have that special rock and roll music. Yeah. Let me tell you, so the lyrics to real rock music is nothing more than satanic cyanide. Get it out of your house, throw it out, and burn it. It has no place in the house of the righteous. Guys, it was like a mistake. There's no mistake anymore. Follow us on Twitter at RNR Autopsy, or you can send an email to rockandrollautopsy at gmail.com. And if we run across anything good, we'll mention it in a future episode. Thanks for listening. Later. Well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. <laughs>